Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind, and I love my work, the opportunity to talk with remarkably enlightened people about things that really matter to all of us. And honestly, the most fun I have is when I hear from listeners I've never met, often from places I've never visited, who've been touched by our Humankind program. The grants we get from the funders you hear named on our program simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep the program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. We are a, um, a microcosm there of many different peoples uh, with different racial, religious backgrounds who uh, most likely would never meet or greet each other uh, unless we were in that place doing it. How the Sufi tradition helps people break down barriers and discover the essence that makes us human. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It caught the world of publishing by surprise. The recent surge in popularity that rocketed the mysterious Sufi poet Rumi to bestsellerdom. It was all the more astonishing since Jalaluddin Rumi, with that flowing white beard, penned his beautiful verses nearly 800 years ago in the region now known as Turkey. At first glance, they are lyrical love poems, but the reader soon comes to realize that Rumi's lover is the divine, the embrace he so deeply longs for is a soul-satisfying union with God. Historians debate the origin of the Sufi tradition, but it certainly dates to ancient times. Its appeal to this day lies in an undogmatic, open-hearted approach that beckons people of all backgrounds into an encounter with their own inner wisdom. Sprouting up in many cultures throughout the world, the Sufi path has a growing appeal for Americans like Mitch Gilbert, author of an owner's manual for the human being. For him, it was a new way of seeing. Initially, there is like a witness that is watching this movie going on. It's watching you become angry when there was no reason to become angry, become frightened when there was no reason to become frightened, become greedy when it was more than you actually needed to satisfy yourself. It's watching you. But you think of yourself as the performer, as the ego, as the watchdog, as the, as the actor in all of these roles. You don't think of yourself as the witness. But what occurs is that little by little you begin to identify more with the witness than with the ego you begin to recognize that that witness 
is your own inner voice, and that that inner voice is coming from somewhere really deep and sacred inside of yourself. And it was so deep and buried to protect it all these years that you forgot that it was you. It's one of these things where if, if, you, if you can remember the first time you ever looked in a mirror, maybe you were like two years old, and you looked in the mirror and with total elation, you know, at discovery, you said, that's me. And you look in the mirror now and you say, that's me, okay? And it's certainly not the body that you're talking about that you still recognize as the same, and it's not your emotions, and it's not your personality, and it's not your intellect. All those things have changed. But there was a core of you that was there when you were two years old and that's there now. Well, that inner voice, that conscience that's acting as the witness, once you begin to listen to it, you begin to recognize that that's the voice of that soul of you that's been pleading for all this time to be released, to come out from under all the games and all the acts and all the performances and all the achievements and everything else that you've piled on top of it and allow it to grow and become who you really are. This world is a stage Here there is singing and dancing Here there are gatherings Here Tomorrow all these will desert us Oh, no one has understood that This world is a stage Who will realize what will happen tomorrow of having any kind of very consistent program of spiritual work on yourself is that you cannot escape your predicament. You constantly are honing in on your own state. Mariam Kabir in Philadelphia became fascinated with the way of the Sufis in the 1970s. It offered her a compassionate God who could be experienced directly an encounter that, she says, can be profoundly liberating, but that can also be challenging in the way that looking in the mirror can be challenging. You intend to, to worship and serve God, who is purity and light, and you come and stand before him and you see that you have hatred or desire or fear of anything in this world, 
at that moment, you realize that you're not in the state that you intend to be and that you have to do something about it. You have to do your part. God will do an infinitely greater part. But if you don't do that small action of, of putting yourself under the magnifying glass and seeing what you're dealing with and then drawing forth from your inner resources, if you don't do that, you'll just be in that mire and you'll move into another mire from that one. Mariam Kabir regularly joins in congregational prayer, chanting in Arabic that God is the greatest at a mosque in Philadelphia. Through history, Sufis have found a peaceful, contemplative dimension of Islam, a world away from the dark images of Islam often portrayed in today's headlines. But while outwardly pacifist, Sufism is not a tradition without vigorous struggle. Now I'm constantly um, in a battle because the qualities of hastiness and arrogance, etc., are very deeply embedded. The Sufi teachings have placed Zohara Simmons, a professor of religion at the University of Florida, Gainesville, in a gentle wrestling match with her own personal shortcomings. Students of Sufism are encouraged to keep asking themselves, how can I improve? How, with God's help, can I bring more love and wisdom into my daily thoughts and deeds? If I'm able to go forward using patience, uh, using tolerance, not superimposing uh, projections in the past onto a situation, then I immediately feel inner peace when I'm able to do that. And the situation itself is often transformed. And I've often and continue to be amazed at that because it's almost as if I don't know if I really believe it, but if I do it and it happens, then afterward I say, it works. Oh my God, it is a power. It really does work. A mentor to many Americans studying the Sufi path was the late Bawa Muhayyadeen from the island nation of Sri Lanka near India. He was widely revered by UN officials, scholars, and others as a gentle wise man with a razor-sharp clarity. The author of Islam and World Peace, he speaks the language of Tamil, translated here in English. If one knows the true meaning of Islam, there will be no wars. All that will be heard are the sounds of prayer and the greetings of peace. Only the resonance of God will be heard, not the battle cries. That is the ocean of Islam. That is unity. That is our wealth and our true weapon, not the sword in your hand. In the earliest days, people waged their battles with sticks. Then they had spears. Afterward, they used steel swords, then guns. Later, they made bigger guns and cannons. Following that, they invented weapons that flew. 
Then came bombs which could be dropped from above. They have even invented bombs that can fly. And now it has come to poisonous chemical weapons. But none of these things created by man is meant to foster the growth of mankind or the growth of love or the growth of peace and unity among mankind. Nor does it foster the growth of Islam. A longtime student of Bawa Muhayyadeen is Patrick Andrews in Philadelphia. For him, the Sufi tradition, which historically has attracted people from widely varying religions, provides a place of common ground where the ethnic and sectarian differences that so bedevil our world can actually be melted away. The key, he says, is self-examination. You are saying to yourself, I don't want differences, therefore I only want unity. I don't want to cause harm to somebody else, therefore I am really one with that somebody else. He's the same as I am. And it's that Islam, that set of characteristics that could ultimately just be called purity, but in this case, a set of characteristics that are called equality and oneness and care for all lives as one's own, that Islam is what promotes unity. We are constantly working against the perception of everyone else as an other. Professor Zohara Simmons. And the um, congregational prayer and the um, embracing each other and looking into each other's eyes and wishing each other peace from the heart uh, is one tool to begin breaking down the separations. And I think I've seen that operating in the mosque uh, because we come from different communities and different backgrounds. And we are attempting to overcome uh, histories of uh, indifference and barriers and all of that. It's going against a learned uh, grain uh, and trying to uh, make myself um, understand and live as if I already know that there is no difference. All of us, regardless of color, if we are black, white, or yellow, we accept God and we pray to God. And at the end of our prayer, if we greet each other and embrace heart to heart, then the hostility that may exist between us is cut away. The doubt, anger, and hatred between us are cut away. Any thought of vengeance or evil is cut away. In this way, when we assemble five times a day in Islamic prayer, all the animosity and jealousy are cut, giving way to unity. Then unity is established in all that we do. When we eat, unity is established. 
when we are at a funeral, unity is established. When we meet to discuss wisdom, unity is established. That unity drives away darkness from the heart. It drives away hatred and disaffection from the heart. It severs suspicion and jealousy. It gathers people together in the portion that is good. It stabilizes harmony and invites us to the station of unity. Every person is made of the same building blocks. Mohammed Yassin, born in England, is a carpenter in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, who became taken with the Sufi tradition in the early 1980s. We are all made of the same elements. The water in me is the same as the water in everyone else. The heat, everything, we are made of all the same building blocks. So on, on the physical level, we are all the same. Now within that physical creature, God has placed a soul. And when we research into this soul life, we start to see that this is a, a life which does not have a form and cannot be destroyed. And yet it exists within this physical body. And after we, we start thinking about these things for a while and working with them little by little in our lives, the way it's happened to me is that I'm now trying to look at someone. First the eyes see the body, they see the person, they might put them in a particular bracket of e economics or state or type. But immediately I'm trying to come through with this other seeing and saying, this person is a soul. This person is a soul life. They are just like me. They have the same soul as me. They are made of the same elements as me. If they have pain, I know what that pain is. I've had the same pain. Pain is pain. I know what pain is. So why shouldn't I feel for their pain? I shouldn't discard them and say, oh, they have pain. Oh, you know, I don't. I'm lucky. No, I must share that pain. They have the same pain from those elements. They have the same love. Love may come to different people through different means, but it's still love. They have hate, they have sorrow, they have depression and sadness. I've also had all those things, and it's the same in everyone. I see the whole of humanity as one family. And if you can have unity with that family, that is like a worldly step or level towards us having unity with our Creator. Just as the sun shines impartially on all things, the heart of one who is in Islam must resplend in that unity. Just as the moon sheds its cooling light on everyone, the qualities of one who is in Islam must show everyone compassion and show equality to all. That is Islam. From within one's heart, we must be able to comfort the hearts of everyone through compassion. That is Islam. That is the Quran sent down to the Prophet Muhammad. May God's peace be upon him. There was never any anger there. All that was shown was sympathy, kindness, and compassion. If we choose the path 
that says, let me put down my anger and let me try to establish peace between myself and other people. Let me at least establish peace within myself. If I choose that path, then my life at least can be peaceful. And who knows, my life being peaceful may affect somebody else's life and that life may become peaceful. And then who knows, those lives being peaceful may affect the world becoming a more peaceful place. Outer peace begins with inner peace. It's an old dictum, but it's, there's no way around it. There's no quick fix method here. It seems to take longer, but any other, any other chance for peace is fraught. It's going to collapse. And until each person brings peace within themselves, you cannot have a peaceful world. While on the one hand it appears that it's a, a slow process, and of course it is in, in some ways of looking at it, uh, and I know that this kind of uh, thinking seems to be impossible. It's like, well, the world is on the verge of blowing up in a nuclear holocaust at any moment, and I mean, who's got time to be going around getting each person to change him, and her, him or herself? But it really is the only way uh, for us to have real peace because all of the uh, struggles and warfare and all generally over property, over titles and all of this, it really does come down to personal selfishnesses and seeing uh, other people as less than oneself, as other than oneself, as enemies and uh, so that it really does all come from the individual's uh, sense of separation and hatred and, and uh, animosity, so that that's where it has to be cured. The ancient tradition of Sufi verse was revived in recent years by the gentle poet Fuard Udaman of Sri Lanka. As one heart, one soul, one life, shall we gather here to ascend from this makam of darkness towards that station of light then bend to him in worship, in surrender, to Allahu, illallahu, and blend with his oneness, purity, love, and the veils of darkness rent. Say, Allah, alhamdulillah, the sustainer, the nourisher is he, the beloved of the lovers, the link between you and me, the living life within man, man's formless mystery that gives life, form, and color to the earth, air, and the sea. May all In Davis, California, Ann Katz has tried to practice the Sufi principles along with her husband, physician David Katz, for more than two decades. It has affected her on many levels. I could certainly point to a lot of obvious outer kind of things like uh, you know, not drinking alcohol anymore, not eating meat anymore, um, 
being more secure in my relationships with other people, um, being not so anxious about the future, or concerned about different kinds of things that I was worrying about. Um, but it really isn't any of those things by themselves. It's just a kind of a kind of certitude of more faith in God, a clearer view of what was really worthwhile doing in life and what was really not worthwhile to do, um, what I really valued and what was not worth valuing. It isn't that those values weren't there before, that faith wasn't there before. Be because I could look back in my life, even back to practically infancy, and see little uh, bits of awareness along the way where I had experienced all those feelings before. I had experienced that certitude. I had experienced that very clear knowledge of the difference between right and wrong and the difference between a good action and a bad action and that that kind of faith that you know that there really was a purpose to this life that there really was something that you were supposed to be working toward even though it was not always clear what it was. Um, it's just like all of those all of those different experiences had been brought together like you know now you're going to you're going to throw out all the chapters of your book that that are meaningless and you're going to collect those few words in that whole book you've been writing that are really really the center of it and and you're going to start, you know, every page now is going to be like that. The Sufi philosophy offers an avenue for being at peace with the world by being at peace in your own skin. Grand designs for extravagant possessions give way to a happy acceptance of life's simple bounties. In a world whose appetite can seem insatiable, how powerful it is to say that one has enough. Sufi teacher Bawa Muhayyadeen. A person can be satisfied with even one morsel of food if you say, I praise God in gratitude, I've had enough. Immediately your hunger is appeased, or there may not be enough water. Then if you take just one drop and say, I praise God in gratitude, your thirst is quenched. If only a tiny leaf, a small fruit, or a spoonful of milk is available, when we accept it with satisfaction, that becomes enough to satiate our hunger. So it all depends on our attitude of contentment. With faith, if you say, I have enough, I am satisfied, then immediately you will be satisfied. By just saying, I'm content, it means you're trusting that the next moment will be taken care of. You're not in a state of panic or worry about the next moment or the next day. And when, you do, when you're feeling like that, whether you're saying it physically with your tongue or not, your inner state is saying, I, I praise God, thank God. You're saying, I thank God, praise God that everything is okay. And that really is the only peace we can get. The world at this moment is telling us all sorts of other things. It's saying, for goodness sake, don't be content. It's saying, look, you've got to have this new car. This is the latest model. The one you had last year is a year old already. What are you doing? You know, you've got to move, you've got to get the new one. Look, it's got a brand new little gizmo on it, whatever it is. They're trying to breed this contentment into us. But we have to say, 
for those who can stop the world for a second or two and say, what is, what is my human life all about? The world's saying this, my heart's saying this, how can I strike a balance? The Sufi philosophy is taught today at the Bawa Muhayyadeen Fellowship in Philadelphia. To Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Special thanks to Lockwood Rush and Peter Boatsma. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment on the Sufi tradition is Humankind Program number 80. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.